sometimes patients will say, should I get a second opinion? Dr. Weiss actually said he, he suggests it or supports it. I always tell people uh, the three things that I think uh, you need to, you know, you would really benefit from a second opinion. And if you don't have this, you know, think twice. And so the three things I always say are one, uh, the thing is really rare. The second one is when the treatment is really radical. The third one is if you just don't jive with the people who are you're meeting with. So I think as opposed to too many or too few, there's probably a sweet spot for most people. Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and we got a great show for you today. We're talking about second opinions. Our special guests are Dr. Daniel Shuba. He's the Senior Vice President of Neurosurgery at Northwell Health and Chair of Neurosurgery at North Shore University Hospital and Long Island Jewish Medical Center. And we have Dr. Matthew Weiss. He's a surgeon and deputy physician in chief at Northwell's Cancer Institute. So guys, second opinion, super important. Why is it so important? Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of people when they enter the medical field, and I, I call it a maze, uh, they have to enter the maze at different places, and it's so confusing. And so anyone who can shepherd them through that is helpful. And sometimes that gets short-circuited, and they sit there and they talk with the physician, and it's an overwhelming emotional issue, and they leave, and then they go to Dr. Google. And so it's almost that sometimes that second opinion that helps crystallize some of the things they heard, and then they start putting things together. Yeah, I would even assume that a, a second, third opinion is not a bad idea. Yeah, it's funny. I, I frequently encourage patients to get second and third opinions. I think it gives them peace of mind. It's funny, if you look at the way cancer care and cancer has really cancer care has been delivered in the United States over the last 30 years, it, it frequently is fragmented. Frequently, cancer care is, is performed kind of in silos. And sometimes seeing one particular specialty, you may get one opinion, but if you see other specialties, you may recognize that there's other options out there. And and so one of the things that we do, and my, my, my own specialty is pancreatic cancer, is we, we actually have developed a team of specialists that come up and, and, and talk about cases together to try to break down those silos and to come up with with consensus before we even meet the patient. Yeah, I think, yeah. Just to build on, on what Dr. Weiss said, I couldn't agree more. And so as you we grill, build these multidisciplinary teams, in some ways, either virtually or literally, you're getting multiple opinions on that first encounter. Uh, and so when patients say, I'm going for multiple opinions, you're saying, well, actually, you're meeting a radiation oncologist and a surgeon and a medical oncologist uh, all in, in tandem. So you don't actually have to go all these places and you get a one-stop shop, multiple opinion in the, in the same time. Yeah, I think probably one of the scariest things for anybody is when you go in and you find out that you do have a cancer diagnosis and then there's just like a lot of blur and background noise. So I guess the more questions you ask, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, I, I always give patients, sometimes patients will say, should I get a second opinion? Dr. Weiss actually said he, he is such, suggests it or supports it. I always tell people uh, the three things that I think uh, you need to, you know, you would really benefit from a second opinion. And if you don't have this you know, think twice. And so the three things I always say are one, uh, the thing is really rare. And so you sit there and you find something and said, well, I've never seen this before, but we'll figure it out. Obviously that's a cue to saying, maybe we'll go to see someone who's seen more. The second one is when the treatment is really radical and they say, well, you know, it's a nail, it's trimming your nails or is it taking your heart out? And if it's the second one, you might want another opinion. The third one is if you just don't jive with the people who are you're meeting with. And the reason I say is because when people get to these fourth and fifth opinion, if all those are not met, and they just say, I just want to talk to people. Sometimes they actually can trip on themselves because they're getting so many different opinions that it can be uh, overwhelming. So I think there's a sweet spot to a second opinion as opposed to too many or too few. There's probably a sweet spot for most people. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think patients um, frequently get peace of mind by getting a second opinion. But I think what's important is that is that the second opinion is is a valuable second opinion. I mean, when, when you're looking for a second opinion, it should be in an expert in the disease that you unfortunately have. It should be someone that that takes care of that type of cancer on a, on a regular basis, that knows all the newest technology and all the newest treatments, that has access to new cutting-edge clinical trials that you may have may not have access in your first opinion to. So I think it's, um, you know, we know some of the, some of the factors that improve patient outcomes with, with cancer care, and it's, you know, it's what you would expect. It's it's high volume of seeing those types of diseases. It's it's having a team that that recognizes these diseases and and places that that know that they have the the newest cutting edge technologies. You know, in in my specialty in pancreatic cancer, there's there's been a revolution over the last 15 years. Chemotherapy's gotten better, radiation therapy's gotten better, and patients that historically were not surgical candidates now are routinely taking to the operating room and resecting them for cure. That that never occurred before. And and the reason is is that it's multiple disciplines that are working together, you know, and, and so where you go, you want to see a surgeon that does these operations on a regular basis, but also understands how to sequence the different treatments that you're going to get, for instance, chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Yeah, just to build on what Dr. Weiss said, I think that, you know, I use the word shepherding people through it is so valuable. And so, for example, in the, in the Department of Neurosurgery, where we do brain tumors and spine tumors, they are classic second opinion uh, things. So actually on the way to this podcast, I was getting called by a colleague who said, can you take a look at a spine tumor, which is what I focus on. And the idea is not only do you want the specialty and the cutting edge uh, uh, technology and the clinical trials, you want someone who's been in a team situation, says this is what it's going to look like on day one, and hopefully this is what it's going to look like on day 20, who can take you through steps. That experience is really valuable in the second opinion stage. Yeah, I think what you just said actually just you know struck a note with me. I had a diagnosis and I fell in love with my doctors. I thought they were great. I wanted to do it. But my wife is like, there's this other expert. You should go see him. You should at least go see him, see what he says. And and I was reluctant to do it. And I went and he basically said the same things. And and that was so important to me because it confirmed, you know, that 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 I was getting the right treatment. Also, if I didn't and something went wrong, then I would be kicking myself. Like, how come I didn't get that second opinion? Yeah, that, as you said, that peace of mind, especially with a cancer diagnosis, uh, as you know, in, in our field, brain and spine tumors, it, 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 it almost that first meeting, and I was assume the same thing with pancreatic cancer, that first meeting, you might get 5% recall. In other words, you're talking to someone on a diagnosis and they maybe hear 5% of it, and then they go home and they tell their spouse if, or their sigma and others if they weren't there, this is what happened. And it's, sometimes it's unintelligible. That, like, I didn't ask that. I didn't do that. So the second opinion, or maybe even the second opinion to the same physician uh, or their team, is so key for peace of mind. And that's what we want in this life. We want to help them with their cancer, but we also want to help them as individual and, and their emotions. Some people sometimes are afraid to ask questions, but I would assume you guys encourage people to ask questions. It's amazing. I frequently ask patients when I first meet them, what's your understanding of what's going on? And and the 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 degrees of of understanding vary unbelievably. Um, and, and some of them have seen other doctors and some of them haven't. And I do find it very interesting. I mean, I think a patient walks into your clinic and they're told for the first time that they have a cancer. And then you go through a description of the cancer and the treatments that they're going to get and what surgery is going to look like and what the recovery is going to look like. And I think many times they walk out of that clinic and all they remember is, 
I have a cancer. So we follow up with them after. Um, we have very experienced advanced practitioners that also call patients right after the clinic. Um, and, and we follow up and we give them the opportunity to ask questions. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, patients frequently a day or two later have many, many questions that they didn't think to ask that need to be addressed. So it's important. Right. I would think that most people, when they go in, they might have their five or six questions, you know, and then when they start asking those questions, they probably walk out and say, darn it, I forgot this one or that one. So there's, there's always an opportunity for the follow-up. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things that, that's scary out there, and it, it brings us back to second opinions, is that is that frequently patients, when they first meet a doctor, they all they hear is they have a cancer. And sometimes at the end of that, they have a surgeon telling them, well, there, and there's no surgery that can be done for this. You know, you're going to get chemotherapy or you're going to get radiation. And we know from multiple, multiple studies that there are many patients out there that have surgical disease, that have resectable pancreatic cancers, that have resectable liver tumors, that have resectable colorectal cancers that can be resected for cure, but they never actually get to see a surgeon because the first person that they see tells them it's not a surgical situation. And so I think it's really important that if you're a patient and you're told, no, surgery is not an option, you need to at some point see a, a surgeon that specializes in that disease and hear from them. You know, I couldn't agree with Dr. Weiss more. And, and the, what, what I find, I would say, I'm making this number up, but I'd say I feel like it's 90% of the time where I'm sitting there going, I completely agree with my colleague that met and I'm, I met you, and I'm so glad they educated you on this. You got it. You understand this. There are unfortunately a number of cases where we deal with really rare tumors of the spine or really rare tumors of the brain or really advanced ones. And I get called by a colleague saying, we did this. We, we in essence, burned this bridge, anything you had in mind. And we say, we wish we had a little gotten a little involved a little bit earlier because there were techniques we could have used. And those are the most heartbreaking ones. And that's why that second opinion before you pull the trigger on some of these treatments, it's nice to say, did I uncover every rock before I go for a big treatment? And so it's not common, but when it happens, it's a tough situation to tell someone, well, we did have that option, but we no longer do have that option because we've gone too many steps down the road. And that second opinion is really key for some of these brain and spine tumors, especially the rare ones. So Dr. Shuba, you specialize in the end block procedure. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so end block is a, is a term, it really means in one piece. And from an oncological point of view, it's nice to take out a tumor in one piece with the caveat that you actually got the whole thing, right? You can take a, one piece of an apple and leave half the apple, but the idea is to take the whole apple and, and leave nothing behind. There are certain tumors that do better when we get the whole cancer out. And I think the listeners might say, well, isn't that true of every tumor? And the fact of the matter is that to try to get it out in one piece is harder. And I, I, I liken it to if we have to take this desk or, or a car through the door, we're gonna, it's easier to take it out in pieces than to take it out and get all these people to carry the car or the desk in, in through the door without hurting it. So it's harder to do. And if you don't need a big operation, personally, I don't want a big operation. If I can take out some of the tumor and the rest gets radiated away or chemotherapy, I'll take that. However, there are some rare tumors where the radiation, the chemo are not yet effective. We've not figured out a way to consistently get rid of those tumors. And so therefore, you got it out in one piece, which really we, we as, a, as a center, are one of the leaders in the country in on-block procedures for spinal tumors, uh, for chordomas and chondrosarcomas and other sarcomas. And so when we think about that, this is extremely important to get that opinion from our center because sometimes I get them a little late and I say, now we, we can't do the on-block anymore because we've missed our chance. So it's so important to have that second opinion. What would, what would be some good starter questions? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes patients at the end of the meeting will say, Dr. Shuba, 
what didn't I ask? And I'm kind of like, well, I think you, you asked everything. I think the, the ones that I want to know about, because, uh, you know, Dr. Weiss and I can get, can get pretty down into the granularity with the stuff that we've been part of, and we can get very specific, is I want to know what the, the bigger goals of this patient are. It's not that I want to know every single life dream and, and, and goal, but they are important. So, for example, the, pa the patient who says, I expect cure, or the patient who says, I, ex I want pain decreased, or I want to have a, 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 an understanding of my disease so I can deal with this uh, and get my, community, my care in my community. Those are ranked for some people. So in other words, sometimes people say, I just want to be cared where I don't have to be in a hospital for a long, long time. That's a priority for them versus the one who says, I need an operation with a, with a you know, same-day surgery. And then we take that, if you will, expectation of the patient and sometimes fit it into what our options are, saying, we can't give you 90% of that. We can only give you 80% of those wants, but we're going to try to make the other 20% good. Those, that experience is great for the patient. When they sit there and say, they listen to what I'm trying to get out of it, specific to me. Dan Shuba, at my age, may be different than what I want when I'm 80, and I shouldn't be treated like Dan Shuba was when he was at my age now. I should be treated in my family situation. So I always ask personal questions in the beginning, and I actually usually say, what have you, you been doing for the last few years of your life? And then I get a sense of their personality, and we make it uh, uh, specific. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's. I think it's like many things in life: expectations, expectations. You want to know what the patient's expectations are. They want to know what your expectations are as well. You know, I think patients clearly should ask simple questions like, "How often do you take care of this type of disease? You know, what what does your volume look like? What do your outcomes look like? You know, frequently we we here at Northwell track our outcomes in surgical oncology, so we know actual statistics on our outcomes. Um, they should ask. What, what, what type of options do I have open here that I may not have elsewhere? What type of clinical trials do you have open right now? Clinical trials are, are key. We know that patients that are treated at centers that have a lot of open clinical trials have better oncologic outcomes. So you want to know, you know, you obviously want to have a comfort level with your, with your surgeon and with your surgical team. Um, but I think you want to know how often is, is my disease treated by this group? What type of treatment options are available here that may not be available elsewhere? What do the outcomes look like with those options? And then what type of clinical trials are available? So what do you say to someone, uh, a friend of yours or somebody who says, hey, you know, how do I pick the right doctor? Yeah, I'll give you an example, which is kind of a funny example. I was in uh, China uh, at the Forum for Spine Tumors, and they basically said, uh, they, they lined them up and they said, Dr. Shuba is the number one surgeon in China. And they said he did this many operations last year and then a couple less. And he said, this is number two. And then he said, and this is number three. And I said, wow, they were lined up in a row. And, and he said, who's the number one spine tumor surgeon in America? And I said, in America, everybody's number one. And so I think what I'm trying to tell you is that when you see your doctor, there's always this sense, if you like them, uh, that uh, I think I'm seeing the best. And so it becomes quite confusing websites, advertisements. And I think that that's why, generally speaking, when you partner with a large institution, you are getting the benefits of that. You know, if you're getting that uh, brand, we treat the most cancer patients in the metropolitan area, despite having all these uh, wonderful, uh, uh, great institutions around us. You know you're going to get quality and you're also going to get the teammates that involve there. So when you sit there and say, who is the best, you want to be part of a great team. There's this thing of who's the best. The great team is really what wins, not the individual. So Dr. Shuba, you talked about the team behind you. That's so important. Tell us a little bit about who's on that team and what does that team do? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, I recently came from Johns Hopkins and I brought with me one of my partners, Dr. Lowe, and we're both surgeons who specialize in spinal cancer. As we alluded to before, we're just one part of this massive team or, you know, the village that takes care of it. It's a village that takes care of it. So surgery by itself is not enough. You need to have the radiation oncologist who we're partnering with now. And Lou Potters has been a great resource. The medical oncologist, specifically the breast cancer oncologist, the lung cancer oncologist, the renal cell, et cetera. And then the scientists that we save the specimens and give them to the scientists to work on to come with new cures. Um, and then the nursing staff and the support staff and the social workers and the, and the, and the survivorship is all part of the picture. Actually, today while we're recording this is Cancer Survivors Day for Northwell Health, and it, it gets bigger and bigger every year. How important are those partnerships? There's a lot of uh, partnerships that are involved with Cancer Survivors Day. How important are those partnerships? Yeah, I think it's a great question, and it's an extremely important aspect of the journey that Matt and I have been talking about. In other words, if you are uh, fortunate to be cured or to have remission of your cancer, and we... we um, we pat ourselves on the back for that day. The patient still has a lurking concern that this could come back. And so the question becomes, how do you survive after a, a great diagnosis? Or how do you survive with a lingering chronic diagnosis? And so this survivorship, as opposed to, you know, you're on the racetrack and you jump in that pit stop, we change your tire, you're good. No, you're still on that journey. You're still going around the, the track. So this idea of collaborating in a way that supports people throughout the journey Really, the entire journey is key, and that's what cancer survivorship is. It's it's helping them continue to be all that they can be with that history of cancer, and that means different things to different people. So, Dr. Weiss, how important is it to partner with foundations like the Luskarten Foundation, and, and what does that mean for treatments coming in the future? I think it's incredible to partner with such organizations, you know, in particular with pancreatic cancer, if you think about it. You know, a couple of years ago, they announced that there was this great improvement in survival in pancreatic cancer, and that survival improvement was 9% at five years, clearly not good enough. And, and why have we been a little bit slow to improve outcomes in pancreatic cancer? Well, the reasons, honestly, are multifactorial, but one of them is it's a little bit of an orphan disease, meaning that... There's not as many patients that have pancreatic cancer, and truthfully, there's not as many survivors as there are in other cancers. And what that has led to is underfunding in terms of research. We have a robust research platform here at Northwell now addressing pancreatic cancer, and the goal is early detection, new therapeutics, and cure. That's our goal. We can't do that without the support of organizations like Garden that can provide financial support, can get the word out. We have a walk coming up next month for pancreatic cancer where one of my patients will actually be honored at that walk. Um, we need to get the word out that that this disease is out there and, and that we can cure it. And, and organizations like the Lust Garden Foundation working with us at Northwell are instrumental in, in developing novel therapeutics and in, in developing ways that we can detect pancreatic cancer earlier. It's a great relationship. It's one that we've fostered for several years now and we look forward to doing in the future. You know, you'd mentioned before about people don't really hear everything sometimes because they're scared. All they hear is cancer. And then they go home and they go to Dr. Google and there's so many things. And then I would assume they get a lot of pressure from their family members. The family members start asking questions. They don't know the answers to it. How important is it, the, the family's role, and to help answer some of the family's concerns and questions? I think it can't be emphasized enough, to be honest with you. I encourage patients to, to bring family members with them to the initial visit. It's been somewhat difficult with COVID, 
to be honest. Um, actually, the uh, integration of telehealth has helped in that regard because sometimes I'll talk to patients and they'll have an entire room full of family members that can help them remember what's discussed. But um, it's funny, kind of one of my research projects a few years ago was looking at family members of patients that are diagnosed with cancer and what a tremendous burden it can be even for family members you know, to, to attend all the office visits and to help them come to the hospital and maybe come in and get treatments. And it actually can be a financial burden as well, missing jobs, missing work and so forth. And, but I think it can't be emphasized enough that it's important, you know, just like we have a team caring for the patients in the hospital and in the health system, they have a team that takes care of them at home as well and helps them through this process. So I think the more family members that can be involved in the decision-making process and the listening to the appointments and even attending appointments if possible, the better for that patient. I think it clearly helps. Awesome. Dr. Weiss, Dr. Shuba, thanks so much for joining us on 20-Minute Health Talk. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great day. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.